You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Hi. How are y'all? My name's Pastor Babe. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, give, you, give my wife a hand, would you, Pastor April? We have... Um, we have had a long weekend. We had a, a really great day yesterday with family, and so uh, we're a little bit tired today, but we're, we're going to endeavor to lay hold of everything that God has for us this morning. Amen. Uh, so thank you guys for um, being here today. Uh, we, we just came off of a little bit of a vacation. It was great to get a little bit of a, a, a reprieve, and we went to uh, the mountains last weekend, and they're still there. If you haven't got to go visit, please go up because it's awesome. Uh, it rained. We had some good family time. But in just coming back, we just kind of came back to a lot of stuff this week. And, and so I want to give you a little bit of an update on a few things, uh, really crisis things that we had going on here at GTF as a church family. Uh, but many of you know, last Sunday morning, if you were here or watched online, um, we were praying for Joe Rivera. He had a heart attack last Sunday morning and was rushed to Amarillo in an ambulance. And um, just want to appreciate you guys and your prayers. Uh, just extend that from him. Everything's great. He's doing well. They got him to the 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 uh, to, to the operating room in uh, in Amarillo, and did a heart cath. He had one of his arteries that was really completely blocked, and so just got all that stuff done in time. And and so if you guys would just continue to pray for his recovery, he's doing really well. And and so I just want to thank you guys for your prayers. Uh, but also want to extend some appreciation to you from uh, Naomi Escobar and her family. Uh, many of you know Laura was killed in a, in a really tragic accident last weekend. And we had his services here on Wednesday. And, uh, and really just wanted to extend some appreciation to you guys because I was telling our elders in our elders meeting on Thursday night, man, you guys just stepped up and the church was a church and you guys loved on this family that's really hurting. And, and so thank you guys um, from them to you. Uh, and also for me as your pastor, it's, uh, it's one of those really important things. I, we preach this often, and I think that this week has been a really great example of this, is um, all of the ministry can't fall to me. It falls to us. Every single one of us is a representative of Jesus Christ. And whenever we all do our part, then the church fills in the gaps and shows up the way the church is supposed to do. And so thank you guys for being who you are. Um, it's a really big honor for me to pastor a church like GTF and really, really love you guys. So... If you have your Bibles, if you'll open those up this morning to Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> I'm going to start a new series this morning. And the, the title of this series is Impressed, Impressive to God. Okay, And we're going to talk over the next couple of weeks about living a life that impresses God. Is that even possible? You know, many of us, we, we kind of struggle with our own hangups and our own weaknesses and our own frailties. And, and sometimes it's really hard to believe that we could ever get to a place in our life where God looks at us and he's, he's impressed. Okay. But I want you to, to listen to this verse. If you're just stay there in Matthew chapter eight, but listen to Romans chapter five. It says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I want you to think about a word in that verse, character. Character is really important. Character matters. Character, I'll give you this. This is my definition of character this morning. The mental and moral quality is distinctive to an individual that have been proven through time and hardship. You really get to know who a person really is over a period of time and really whenever they're under a big crunch. 
That's what character is. It shows you who somebody really is. You know, somebody can tell you that they're something and that they can brag on who they are, but you really find out who they are if you know them for a long period of time and some pressure is applied to their life. The truth comes out. And what Romans, what that verse in Romans just said that we read, it says that we should embrace our difficulties because we know that those difficulties, they produce something in us, patience, which patience lends itself to character. And character, eventually, whenever your character is built, built up, you will have hope. I don't know if you're here today and you need hope in your life right now, but I'm just telling you, after today's message, I pray that you are filled with hope. Because you need hope. Hope is important. So we're going to talk about what it means to live a life that's impressive to God. And so today I kind of want to launch off from the place of character. And, you know, your character, no matter where that is today, is on a process of, even, of getting stronger or getting weaker. Character develops. You know, whenever I was six years old, I can remember a time whenever I was in, a gro in the grocery store with my mom and dad. And it was around the time of Easter and they had those Cadbury eggs. In the, in the checkout line right by the register, and I, I asked my mom, can I have a Cadbury egg? And she's like, no, we're not getting that today. And so I was just kind of like, as a six-year-old would, throwing a fit, and so I got corrected. And so eventually she wasn't looking, and I just reached up, and I grabbed a Cadbury egg and put it in my pocket. I can remember we got to the, I don't, this is all kind of patchy because, you know, I was six, but I can remember getting into the car and getting in the back seat and unwrapping that thing and just kind of going to town, and my mom turned around going, what are you doing? What do you got? I was like, Cadbury egg. <laughs> and she was so angry because she had told me not to do that. And listen, I did not have the character to withstand the temptation of taking that Cadbury egg. She made me march back into that store and apologize for taking something that I hadn't paid for and she offered to pay for it. Now listen, here's the thing. I don't do that to this day. Amen. If there's something that I want and I can't afford to pay for it, I put it back on the shelf. I hope you do too. You know why? Because my character has developed over time into somebody who's strong enough to at least, at least I can do this, withstand the temptation to take a Cadbury egg that I can't afford. Your character can develop into something that's strong and even into something that's exemplary. And that's really what, what I want to talk to you about today is having a life and a character that is exemplary, so much so that it impresses God and he pushes you forward in front of a bunch of other people and say, look at this guy. Do you know that God does that? God does that all throughout the word of God. You find different exemplary followers of God, disciples of Jesus. But even in the Old Testament, Job was an example of patience. David was an example. He was exemplary in his devotion, so much so that God highlights individuals and he says, hey, if you want an example of how to do this, take a look at this individual. Now, the, the reassuring thing about all of God's exemplary people is that none of them are perfect. While they may be exemplary in one place, they still have flaws in another, just like you and I. And so this is not a message to, to proclaim that, you, that I'm trying to get you today uh, over the next couple of weeks to get to a place of perfection, but to strive for a character that God looks at and he's impressed with. Can we even get to that place where God looks at you and he is impressed with your character and he wants to exemplify who you are in him to others? I don't know about you, but I want to be an example in God's kingdom. 
I want to stand before God and live a life in such a way that God sees what, who I am in him, the character that's developed, and he highlights me, he highlights my family, and he allows us to become an example of how to do it well. This is possible. If it weren't, then this series is, is no good, okay? But this is possible because God gives us examples over and over and over through Scripture. So today what I want to do is I want to look at the example of the Roman centurion. You're there in in Matthew chapter 8. Look at verse 5. Let's read this together. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Just immediately. Jesus said, show me the way. Let's go home. I'll heal him for you. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Say marveled. Jesus marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table, at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then he turned to the centurion and Jesus said, Go, Let it be done for you as you believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Let's look at this this Roman centurion for just a second. This was a a soldier in the Roman army. This was not a Jew, okay? This was not somebody in Israel. He was actually a foreigner of the, the kingdom of Rome who was there in conquest serving the Roman army. And he was an officer. So he wasn't just a soldier. He was actually an officer in the Roman army. And so as he told Jesus, he understood authority. He understood what it meant to be under authority, but also to have soldiers under his command. So much so that he tells Jesus, I know what it means to give somebody an order and they have to go do it. And so here's this soldier that Jesus is is interacting with and he has rank. He has a job description. He knows what he's supposed to be doing in his calling and duty as a soldier. And it shows him something that's spiritual. His duty as a soldier revealed something to him about the kingdom of God and how God's kingdom works, so much so that it impressed Jesus. Now, what is it that this Roman centurion said or did that actually impressed Jesus? You know, there's a little bit of debate about this, but I'll just tell you my perspective. This Roman centurion believed that Jesus was the king of an invisible kingdom. He believes, see, he comes to Jesus and he's heard about Jesus' miracles. And as a soldier, there's something about Jesus that identifies as like, I don't know what's up with this guy. I'm not Jewish. I don't know anything about a Messiah. But there's something about him that he has authority that whenever he lays his hands on the sick, they recover. So I have a servant who is sick and suffering. I'm going to go to him because he obviously has authority and he can dispatch power or angels or something. And he believed, this Roman centurion believed that Jesus was who he said he was, a king of a kingdom that could not be seen. Now, this was a a reality 
that the Jews themselves had a hard time swallowing. Jesus came up against resistance after resistance with these Jews. And whenever he saw this in this Roman centurion, the, 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 the word that was used in the ESV that we read was Jesus marveled. You know what that word means in the Greek? It means to marvel in admiration. There was this admiration that filled the heart of God. Jesus is the son of God who is the perfect representation of the father. His heart was filled with admiration and awe at the faith and the insight of this Gentile. Somebody who wasn't even part of the faith. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. While Jesus is marveling, at this foreigner, this Roman centurion, he begins to chastise the Jews. That, I don't know if you caught that part, but that's what he was talking about whenever he says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such face. I tell you, many will come, this is verse 11, from east and west and recline at table with Abraham. So whenever he's talking about this, he's talking about this invisible kingdom that's to come. One of these days there will be a huge supper in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of our faith of the Jewish faith especially, will be at this banquet. And he says, many from all kinds of different places, not the land of Israel, will come and they will dine at table. They will be at this banquet and they'll be able to converse with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then he says, and this is a slap in the face, while the sons of the kingdom, that's the Jews, the Israelites, who are opposing his ministry at this very moment. But while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness in places where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is exemplifying faith by using this Roman centurion. He's like, guys, listen, I've been preaching to you guys and I've been doing signs and wonders and I've been proclaiming to you that I'm the Messiah that Isaiah said was gonna come, that Jeremiah said that was gonna come. All of the prophets that God had sent to Israel, he said, I am that guy. Here are the signs and the miracles that attest to what I preach to you this day. And this Roman centurion gets it, and you don't. In one hand, he's exemplifying the faith of this soldier, but in the other hand, he's trying to bring correction and chastisement to the nation of Israel who should have been able to see that he was the one, that he had the goods. Now, here's the, so there's, there's the example, okay? that I'm laying before you. Here's my question and what I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning. How does believing that Jesus is the king of an invisible kingdom change your life today? I don't know if you've thought about this in the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, but you know Jesus is alive and well. We sang that this morning, that we are seated with him in heavenly places. You know, he is on the throne that he is the king of an invisible kingdom. While you and I can't see it with our material eyes, it makes it true no less. Jesus is the king of an invisible kingdom. And one day that invisible kingdom will be perceivable by you and me. We will be able to see it and live in it and interact with it on a daily basis throughout all of eternity. And so how does that impact your life today? And I can only speak for myself, but I'll tell you this, it gives me hope. It gives me hope that there is more than this material experience. You know, hope's important. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which is the love chapter. I don't know how many weddings I've preached 1 Corinthians 13 in. 
But that is, that is the chapter that talks about the excellence of love and how we need to have love. And if we don't have love, we don't have anything. But this is what it says at the very last of that chapter. It says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, you, I, this is just kind of the way I think about this, but love is the greatest because it conquers all. Paul takes the entire chapter of, of, of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians to talk about how love, it overcomes everything that we struggle with. That actually love is the thing that's going to remain all the way throughout all of eternity. If you think about faith, faith is the only thing that helps you get to a place where you please God. That's what the book of Hebrews says. It's impossible cannot happen for you to please God without faith. But what about hope? Hope sometimes, at least in my mind, it gets left out. It's like, man, I got faith and I got love, but what about hope? Here's what hope does, and this is what I've, as I've dug into hope, and this is most recently over the last, last several years, I have discovered I need more hope in my life. If you struggle with depression, you need hope. That is the cure. Because this is what hope does, and this is why hope is important. Hope prophesies to your soul. It prophesies to your soul of a good future. Now, here's the difference between hope and fear. Fear prophesies a bad future. Hope prophesies a good future. You know, this is what the enemy loves to do. The enemy loves to take a demonic snapshot of the, all the bad things that are going on in your life right now. In the year 2020... You're not going to have any problem finding a bunch of bad things happening right now. And so what, what the enemy loves to do is he comes in and he, he begins to take this, paint this picture of the terrible things that are going on in your day today or your week or your year or your life. And he begins to tell you it's never going to get better. You're never going to amount to anything. You're always going to struggle. This is never going to let up. And I don't know about you, but whenever that weight begins to land on me, it's, it's impossible to function at a high level. Listen, but hope. Hope begins to say something different to your mind. It begins to say something different to your emotions. It begins to begin to motivate your will in a different direction because it begins to believe and prophesy a better tomorrow. And that is the gospel. It begins to prophesy a good news rendition of what tomorrow and what your life can be in God. Jeremiah 29, 11, most of you know this verse, but he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. If we don't have hope, you won't believe in a better tomorrow. It's really hard to love whenever you're beaten down in despair. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. While the greatest of these is love, you need faith and you need hope. So one of the things that believing that Jesus is the king of an invisible kingdom does is it gives me hope that there's more than just what's going on in my life today. There's more than this hard thing that I'm going through and God has a different perspective for me to look at. Here's the second thing that believing in an invisible kingdom does gives me peace that this is not my home. Look, I want you to turn over to John chapter 17. It's just going to be a refresher for some of you, but I, it needs to be said and it, and it needs to remind your spirit 
of the reality of the kingdom of God. Because that's what this Roman centurion was tapping into with Jesus that impressed him. Is whenever everything is going wrong in your life, it really does begin to shift the perspective of what's going on in the material world whenever you begin to think about the kingdom. The kingdom conquers all. The kingdom, we sang this this morning, Pastor Mercy was leading us in this course, is that Jesus reigns above. He's transcendent. He's above all of the crap that you're going through today. He's he's high above that. And whenever we begin to, to tap into the kingdom perspective, we begin to elevate our perspective and our being to transcend the problems and the circumstances that are going on. So much so that Paul can say in the verse that we read earlier, we got to rejoice in our sufferings. We got to understand that our sufferings are actually producing something in us. The book of James says, count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you suffer trials of many kind. There is this elevated perspective that, these, that that reality comes from. And whenever we begin to tap into the kingdom that Jesus is transcendent, then we are seated with him in heavenly places. We are joining him from his perspective and from his reality and not our broken, cursed reality. Amen? John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and this is what he prays for you and me. He says in verse 14, I have given them your word, and so he's praying to the Father. So that's where this is directed. Jesus is praying. He says, I've given given them, Father, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Say, I'm not of the world. That's good news. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Listen, you and I live in this world. That's obvious. I don't think any of us struggle to believe that. We can kind of touch the stuff around us and know that this material world is real. But listen, just because you can't see the kingdom of God makes it no less real. Just because it's invisible and you can't perceive it with the naked eye does not mean that it's less real than what you're experiencing. And this this is very impactful to how you live your tomorrow, how you approach your day Monday morning, 8 a.m. Now listen, it's going to go on. I want to give you a couple of other verses. Jesus said that you're not of this world. That's what he proclaimed. But look at what the book of Hebrews says. It says, for Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham had a faith that there was a city that was built by God, and that's what he was living for and living from. Hebrews 13 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And then in Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John paints us a picture of the New New Jerusalem. And he said, Then came out out of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Listen, this is your home. This is not your reality forever. This is temporary. I don't know about you, but have you ever been on a vacation that you just wanted to end because it was terrible? 
got a flat on the side of the road. Somebody stole your money. I mean, all the, all the things are going wrong. And whenever you get into those moments where it's like, man, this trip's just bad. All you want to do is go home. You ever had a day that was so bad that you're just ready for five o'clock to come? You're ready to go home. Listen, there's struggles that you and I go through on a day-to-day basis from season to season where it gets so stressful that it helps to bring peace to your life if you begin to meditate on the reality of what your home is. When the weight of the world is on your shoulders, it helps to remember the world that you and I are living in is not your home. What you're struggling with right now, and I don't know what that is individually. I know some people's stories in this room, but what you're struggling with right now, it's momentary struggle. You're not going to live in that struggle for the rest of your life. We live from this place in our house. We live from this place whenever stress and despair tries to come and, and, and bombard my peace and my hope and affect everything about my life. I have to get to a place where I remember, Jesus, you are king. You are king of an invisible kingdom. This struggle that I'm going through right now, it is only a moment. It's a flash in the pan. It's going to go away. And I am going to inherit something eternal that I'm going to live from. So it helps me to remember that you are a foreigner. This is not the place that you call your residence. Never allow the problems of your day to prophesy to you that this is your life because your life comes from the Lord. And that life is something that you and I will inherit from this point forward. You know, in in, in wartime, one of the things that happens whenever POWs are are, are imprisoned, I've read several books about POWs. Uh, One I'd recommend to you if if you're into that kind of thing is is Unbroken. And one of the things uh, that, that it's it's a really hard book to read, but there's a, a really powerful, powerful ending to that book. One of the things that he talks about as being a a POW in Japan is he talks about just how hopeless it can become whenever you're you're being treated like an animal and you're you're locked up in a a prison in, in the jungle for month after month after month, and he was in there for year after year after year. And one of the things that that he would do as he's locked up in this this bamboo jungle prison is to begin to think about Christmas at home. Begin to think about the food that his mom, he was a young man, the food that his mom would, begin, would, would eat, or that would cook him and that he would enjoy eating whenever he was at home. You know, there's something that's peaceful, that endues you with peace whenever you begin to think and you begin to meditate on the reality that's like, no matter how good this world can become for me, and I have a good life, no matter how good this can be, it pales in comparison to the goodness of the home that I have in God. And that is something that, that governs the way that I live in my perspective on a day-to-day basis. I don't know where your, what, where, where your struggle is today. But I came to remind you today that Jesus is the king of an invisible kingdom. That what you can't see in, in the kingdom of God is no less real because you can't see it. And so what we have to do is we have to shift, intentionally shift our perspective and begin to realize what this Roman centurion realized. Remember, he's an example to us. Jesus marveled at his faith. That he said, Jesus, I'm a soldier and I understand authority. And if I just say go, somebody goes. So if you just say the word, I know that you have 
angels. You have power. You have authority in your kingdom to heal my servant. And Jesus was like, whoa, I haven't seen this kind of faith. That's kind of rare in Israel. I don't know about you, but I needed that reminder today to remind me. It's like, Jesus, it doesn't matter what struggles are going on around me. You're on the throne. You say the word and things shift. You reach out and touch my heart. It's mended. You, 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 you do things for me that I can't do for myself. And so I come to you as king over all the earth. So if you would stand with me this morning. I ask you if you have your communion elements to grab those. and We're going to take communion together this morning. And if, if you need communion elements, if you just raise your hand, somebody will bring those to you. Lift them up. We have some ushers that are around. They'll, they'll get you some. As you're opening up your elements, I want to just turn your attention to what Jesus told us was happening as we take these elements. You, t- you have a wafer there and you have some, some grape juice. And as you take those, Jesus, whenever he, had, he brought his disciples together for the Last Supper, he gave them the same elements. He gave them bread. He said, I am the bread of life. He gave them the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, covenant to, to, for, for the forgiveness of your sins. And the thing that I want you to meditate as you take these elements today and we worship together before we release the service is I want you to remember. That's what Jesus said. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And so there's this thing that we have to do to remind ourselves. And that's all today's message was was designed to do. is to remind you. I think that most of you know it's like, yeah, Jesus is the king of an invisible kingdom. I, I know that. I really do because I've never actually seen Jesus. I believe in him with all of my heart, but I've never actually laid my eyes on him. I know that reality is there, but it's a reminder. And if he is the king of an invisible kingdom, there's nothing that he can't do for you today. Not only is there nothing he can't do for you today, but this momentary troubling life that we're living is not our home. I don't know about you, but that that reminder does something to heal my heart to encourage me for tomorrow. And so, Father God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that each and every one, as we take these elements, that you would strengthen us, that you would impart hope, that as you impart hope, God, that you would relay your peace to us so that we can be strong and face the things that are challenging us tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.